Hi, and welcome to the American Circus Program, a podcast aimed at what's unique about America and Americans. For some people, it's all about money. For others, it's sex and sexy and free. And for others, it's the wide open spaces or the micro world of electronics, science, or just good gossip. Whatever your interests, we're here to explore how we look at each other, each other's cultures, maybe a peek into a taboo, a lie, a commonality that makes no sense and yet makes us to whom and who we are. That's the Three Ring American Circus and I'm Arnie Pickholz. Today we're in the science and religion world of Barry Silver, a rebel lawyer, a civil rights and environment lawyer, and he's also a rabbi, leading a cosmic congregation. Let's find out what this is all about. We'll start with the hero idea. A hero or heroine is a real person or a main fictional character who in the face of danger combats adversity through feats of ingenuity, courage, or strength. Joseph Campbell offered examples of stories of Krishna, Buddha, Apollonius of Tyana, and Jesus. describe yourself as any kind of hero? I wouldn't use the terminology to describe myself in that way, but there's many people that I'm influenced by who I would describe as heroic. And it's a pleasure to be here on your first installment of the American Circus talking about different personalities. I'm reminded of the quote by Albert Einstein, one of my true heroes, one of my greatest heroes, who said, Standardization works very well for automobiles, but not so well for people. And I think that's the point of your show here and of this wonderful podcast, to indicate that each one of us is unique, or should be, and too many people like to live in the shadow of others or conform. And how wonderful it is that you are exploring what it means to be a unique individual I believe that is to encourage other people to see what is special about themselves and to bring out the best in themselves instead of trying to be the second best version of someone else. Heroes should not make us want to be exactly like them. They should inspire us to have the courage to be the type of person that we can be. My father is one of my all-time heroes, and he said this, the greatest miracle is that we do not have to be the person today that we were yesterday, 
but can improve if we use all the potential implanted within us by God. A rebel, on the other hand, as it's posited in the Urban Dictionary, is a person who stands up for their own personal opinions, despite what anyone else says. A true rebel stands up for what they believe is right, not against what's right. It's not about smoking crack, drinking until you're rendered unconscious, or beating the crap out of anyone who crosses your path. It's about being an individual and refusing to follow a crowd that forces you to think the same way they do, even if that means becoming an outcast to society. True rebels know who they are and do not compromise their individuality or personal opinion for anyone. They're straightforward and honest, and they make sure as hell you tell it like it is. Barry, we dubbed you a rebel in the introduction to the show. Can you fess up to this claim? Uh, yes, I freely admit to being a rebel and I plead guilty. I don't draw any dichotomy between a rebel and a hero. In fact, they are usually one and the same. A hero is someone who usually helps people to think differently about themselves. There are heroes, of course, in battle who risk their lives, but heroes outside of the genre of conflict are, to me, people who allow humanity to see themselves in different ways, and that's what a rebel is all about. I like to refer to myself as a rabbi rouser. I think that the uh, great heroes of the past are ones who took us on the greatest journey of all. The greatest journey of all is not to see new lands, but to see the same lands through a new lens, to see with new eyes. And so people like Albert Einstein or Heschel or Moses, these are people who take the world as it is but see it differently. For instance, the first Jew, according to tradition, was Abraham. At a time when people thought that we were destined to fight with each other and we were different from each other and we all had different color skins and different languages, he perceived a unity behind everything and therefore changed the way of thinking forever. We humans are still trying to accomplish that vision of seeing everything as one rather than divided. And religion should be accomplishing that. Too often, though, Religion builds up walls of separation. And we need rebels in the religious field who are going to break down those walls so that we can build bridges of understanding among people. Here's a list of the top 10 greatest rebels in history. Sitting Bull, Margaret Sanger, Nelson Mandela, William Wallace, Harriet Tubman, Alice Paul, Martin Luther King Jr., and Galileo. How do you stack up with these people? I'm, I'm, I'm not in the class of these people, but I, I would comment on, on some of those people. Galileo was a true hero because, as I indicated before, he affected and changed the way that humans see ourselves forever. In our infancy, like most babies do, they thought they were the center of the universe, and they thought the whole world revolved around them. Galileo showed us how wrong that is that the universe does not revolve around us as most babies think, but rather we are just a tiny speck of dust, a little moat in a nondescript solar system and a nondescript galaxy among hundreds of billions of them. And so Galileo was a true hero, and at risk of his life, he demonstrated these facts to the world. 
he was shown all of the horrors of the Inquisition and all of the torture devices and told to be quiet. And still he spoke up. What did he do? Well, he wrote a little uh, a fictional account. And he had somebody who was portraying the worldview of the church called Simplicio. And then he hoped that maybe the Pope wouldn't notice that he was describing the church in simple terms. And he described the universe as he saw it, even upon pain of death. What a true hero he was. As opposed to Copernicus, who had the same type of vision, but waited until he was on his deathbed. And then he decided to tell his, his disciples, okay, now you can publish this when he was dead. Darwin did the same thing. Darwin also gave us a whole new view of the world. He knew what was going to happen when this view was unleashed upon humanity. He knew that this would cause all types of cataclysms and all types of reactions by the establishment and status quo. He waited not because he was afraid, but because he thought that maybe uh, another person, Wallace, who came up with the same theory, he he should unleash it together. But then he had the courage to share his new vision of humanity. We are spirits in the material. We are spirits in the material. We are spirits in the material. We are spirits in the material world. Our so-called leaders speak. With words they try to jail. They stopped the game Let's get to the point or points you are making. Your theology has been dubbed by you cosmic. You have spoken about Albert Einstein and Carl Sagan. Let's take a look at them. Einstein's fame is indeed puzzling. When he gave lectures about general relativity at Oxford University in 1931, the academic audience packed the hall only to ebb away, baffled by his mathematics and his German, leaving only a small core of experts. Yet, when Einstein and his wife appeared as the personal guests of Charlie Chaplin at the 1931 premiere of Chaplin's film City Lights in Los Angeles, they had to battle their way through frantically pressing and cheering crowds. The entire movie theater rose and in their honor. A somewhat baffled Einstein asked his host what it all meant. They cheer me because they understand me. And they cheer you because no one understands you. Part of the reason for Einstein's fame is surely his earliest and best known achievement, the 1905 Special Theory of Relativity. Arthur C. Clarke believed that it was Einstein's unique combination of genius humanist, pacifist, and eccentric that made him accessible and even lovable to tens of millions of people. And how did he sum up relativity? Relativity is an hour sitting with a pretty girl on a park bench as it passes like a minute. But a minute sitting on a hot stove seems like an hour. How do these concepts that Einstein presented form the basis of your religious understanding. Well, Einstein had the ability not to see things the way everybody else did, but to challenge the status quo. 
He once described it as he asked the same questions that children always ask, but tried to answer them with an adult mind. So he kept a childlike sense of wonder and awe about him throughout his life. And what a great quality that is, if, if only we all had that. A sense of curiosity, of desire to know, and not just to accept things the way they are. What is it about Einstein that I resonate with is that he took diverse elements, forces within the universe, and tried to bring them all together. So his theory of relativity is a way of correlating gravity and energy and matter and mass and the speed of light. And light is in the Torah, the first thing mentioned. Let there be light. Einstein recognized there was something special about the speed of light. And even though he correlated all of it, he still wanted to unify everything. He wanted to come up with a unified field theory which united the cosmic, the very large, and also the quantum, the very small. And he, he, uh, he, he died still trying to find that way of uniting everything. Why did he think that there would be a theory behind it? What gave him the faith to believe that all of this could be united without having absolute evidence because it was based on facts and evidence. He saw that everything that seemed to be divergent was actually correlated and unified. And I believe his Jewish neshama, his soul, stemming from the Shema, the watchword of the Jewish faith, which says that all is one, I think it gave him the faith to persist and to believe. And what he did was, he didn't just say, I believe on faith and that's it. He used the evidence to back it up. And scientists today are still trying to discern the unified field theory. When he came up with this theory of relativity, he wanted to show that light would be bent by a star. And the best way would be to use a solar eclipse. And so Eddington tried to prove it as true, but he got deterred because of World War I. He was unable to go where he needed to be. And then finally they did it. And Einstein had some kind of quote saying something like, I, I knew this would confirm it because if it didn't, I would have felt sorry for God that his universe didn't conform the way it would. And so that's, that's the typical thing about Einstein. He had absolute confidence in science and reason. And also he had a wonderful sense of humor. He didn't take himself too seriously. And he had a quote that I think is especially needed today. And that quote is that science without religion is lame and religion without science is blind. He believed that both needed to be joined together. Let's hold on to Albert Einstein for just another moment. Albert Einstein stated that he believed in the pantheistic God of Spinoza. He clarified, however, that I am not an atheist, preferring to call myself an agnostic, or a religious non-believer. What exactly is pantheism, and how does it relate to monotheism, the belief in one God? Pantheism is a belief that there is God in everything, that wherever you look, you see God. Uh, monotheism tends to believe that there's a supernatural external power that's organizing, supervising, and coordinating everything. And Einstein talked about the evolution of God. He said that long ago, people saw horrible things happening, earthquakes and fires and plagues and disease and famine 
And uh, he thought, and man thought that God was really angry and wanted blood. So they said, okay, here, take these animals. You can have their blood and leave us alone. Then later on, humans evolved, so they saw God like a father figure in which God would reward you if you were good and punish you if you were bad. But then he said, in modern times, we get a glimpse of a different type of God. He said that sometimes you could be out in nature or you could be falling in love or listening to a song or having some wonderful insight through science, perhaps, or the arts. And he said it, was, it filled you with what he called a cosmic religious experience, indicating that there's something more than what the physical tells you is all there is. There's something beyond that. And also that we are part of something greater, that we fit into the entire cosmos, that all the cosmos is one. And you're filled with this feeling of joy and awe and wonder, and it transforms your life. And he said that feeling is the source of all true art and science and music and love. And this cosmic religious experience is what modern religion, I hope, will be seeking. So pantheism believes that this incredible, awesome experience or power is everywhere. I like to describe God, my understanding of it, based on Einstein and Spinoza and Heschel and others is this. It's a creative power that's in all, that unites all, and that transcends all. Transcends all because it's more than just any individual expression of it. And it's constantly transforming what is into what could be. It's always changing. And the role of religion is to try to guide that transformation not only to what could be, but what should be. Because change sometimes is very destructive and harmful. Religion believes that there's right and wrong and tries to channel into what should be. Ancient people thought that this external God, a supernatural power, was the source of morality. And I believe it's more within us. It's a sense of right and wrong that has evolved within the human being based on evolutionary forces and our own desire to transcend ourselves and seek justice in the world. On April 24th, 1929, Einstein called Rabbi Herbert S. Goldstein in German. I believe in Spinoza's God, he said, who reveals himself in the harmony of all that exists, not in a God who concerns himself with the fate and the doings of mankind. Spinoza wrote, this firm belief, a belief bound up with a deep feeling and a superior mind that reveals itself in the world of experience, that represents my conception of God. In common parlance, this may be described as pantheistic. How do you, or Judaism, relate to what looks like a real takedown? The, the Jewish God is described in the Torah as pure myth. It was a personification of ideals and values that Jews cherished. It was trying to understand how everything got here before they knew about Copernicus, Galileo, or Darwin. And if you believe these myths as literally true, you will be myth-guided, myth-led. You will myth-understand everything. You will myth the boat when it comes to truth. You will be mythogenistic, and you will believe a whole bunch of other miscellaneous nonsense. It's about time that we dispelled the notion that this God is true. Fortunately, he's not, because he's ordering genocide against non-believers, which is the most dangerous virus of all. And it has variants in the form of Christianity and Islam, in which their God is actually commanding them to kill non-believers, just as the God of the Torah did. This God is archaic and has to go. The God 
that Einstein envisioned in Spinoza, a, a God that unites all people, a power that's within us all, that is the type of divine being or design essence that we should try to emulate. There is no God but nature. And Einstein and Spinoza and Heschel are their modern-day prophets. Our ancestors had glimpses of this. They did perceive there was something beyond us. But they wanted to personify it. They thought that there was some superhuman out there who was doing all these things. Today, we know better. We've evolved from the infancy of our religion. However, orthodoxy, fundamentalism wants to take us back to those days of ignorance where we think we're right, you're wrong, God wrote our Bible and didn't write yours, everything in our book is true. That, my friends, is idolatry. That's worshiping a book and thinking that you can contain God's wisdom inside of that book. By the way, Einstein, Spinoza, they were rebels. They were chastised. Spinoza was excommunicated. Einstein was subjected to vicious ridicule. Darwin was vehemently opposed. All of them prove one thing about rebels, that new ideas, great ideas, go through three phases. First, they are ridiculed. Then they are violently opposed. And then they are accepted as commonly understood facts. And we see that in the development of these great people. Carl Sagan is another story. He wrote and produced the series Cosmos. If you don't remember seeing this program, he defined cosmos first as the Greek word for the order of the universe. It is, he said, in a way, the opposite of chaos. Carl Sagan was a pantheist, a doctrine that equates God with the forces and laws of the universe. Pantheism conjures up images of gods and heroes and mythological stories. How do you adapt this view into your understanding of God and religion? Well, religion and pantheism and all the different expressions of different types of beliefs in God can be either rational or irrational. So pantheism can be irrational, where you imagine there's spirits and gods and they're doing all these strange things within all the different trees and animals, or it could be rational in which you believe that there is a creative power in everything. Not only is it rational, it's provable. <laughs> because each one of us started out as one cell, and now we're about 100 trillion. And so that's a creative power within everything. It didn't happen externally. It happened within us. Somehow, our, that one cell that was us knew what to do in order to replicate itself. And the same is true with every living thing. So this is a very rational point of view. It's not only rational, as I say, it's provable. The universe, we believe, started out as a singularity, and from that became all of the cosmos and all of its diversity and grandeur. This is a divine, impressive, creative power. We're still trying to understand it. And so pantheism is not irrational, just like monotheism could be rational. It depends how you interpret it. But the Torah was written in a pre-scientific age, and most religion today is irrational. And it was Voltaire who said, if you can make someone believe in absurdity, you can convince them to commit an atrocity. And so we see that people who take the Bible literally have committed some of the most grotesque, vicious acts, and they think they're doing good. Like the people who attacked on 9-11, the people who orchestrated pogroms or shot up synagogues against the Jews, people who do despicable things in the name of religion. Why? Because they believe in an irrational God who's commanding them to kill. And so the first order of business for religion is to atone for the past, reject the literal view of the Torah, 
and accept the views of Einstein and Spinoza that we must join together the two greatest revelations of human history, that of science and that of religion, so that science can guide religion to the rational. Because if we follow, if our path is not logical, then we will become pathological. Now here is a rational thought. The idea that God is an oversized white male with a flowing beard who sits in the sky and tallies the fall of every sparrow is ridiculous. But if by God one means the set of physical laws that govern the universe, then clearly there is such a God. This God is emotionally unsatisfying though. It does not make much sense to pray to the law of gravity. Well, Barry, what can we pray to? That is a very, very good question. You see, within all of us is the potential that has been implanted by four billion years of evolution. Within us is incredible power. Where can we draw our inspiration? From knowing that the odds against our being here are astronomically small. That our presence here on Earth is a miracle. The presence of life on Earth it's a miracle. So many things had to go right. We live in a Goldilocks zone of climate. Oxygen poured forth from plants to allow us to live. The ozone and the ionosphere protect us. There are countless miracles all the time. Where do we get our inspiration? By understanding that life on Earth is a miracle. As Einstein said, you can look at all of reality, as if everything's a miracle or nothing's a miracle. Judaism says it's all a miracle. They didn't quite understand how it got here, but they knew that the fact that it was here was miraculous and that we have the potential with the powers that we've been given, especially the rational mind and the powers of love and inspiration to make this world an incredible place that the prophets dreamed of and to make of our lives to transform them in ways that we can't even imagine. So where do we get our inspiration from? From reality. The reality is that a human being is an incredible thing and we have amazing potential and that we have been given great gifts that science has allowed us to live decades and allowed us to be able to use free time and leisure instead of having to scrap and scrape for our existence to be able to create a world that was dreamed of by the prophets. This is indeed inspirational and it's true. Spirituality. It's a profound source of spirituality when we recognize our place in an immense universe of light years and in the passage of the ages. When we grasp the intricacy and beauty and subtlety of life, then that soaring feeling, that sense of elation and humility combined. Now that is surely spiritual. 
How do you relate these feelings to the rest of the world and specifically to your congregation? Well, that's why I consider Carl Sagan to be a modern-day prophet. The guy's a genius. And he had a quote also that goes something like, the traditional religions thought that God was a little God, and he created things in six days. They, don't, they didn't realize how incredible the process of evolution is and how miraculous this universe is. They thought that the Earth was the center of everything. They didn't realize there were billions of galaxies. And he said, imagine what reserves of power and awe and reverence religion could develop if it incorporated the views of science. And so I resonate with what Carl Sagan is saying. The more we know about science, the more we are in awe. In fact, science has been described as informed worship. How does that relate to my congregation? I do my best to share this vision that Carl Sagan and Heschel and Einstein and Spinoza have shared, and the prophets also of old the prophets of old, who said that there's a still small voice within us that is calling upon us to do acts of greatness. How it relates to my congregation? I have shared this concept with my congregation, and predictably, I have received a huge backlash from some people who wanted to keep God small and wanted to keep religion irrational, and they reacted very strongly against it. I was fired, but the congregation came back and demanded my reinstatement. People tried to change our mission statement, which says now that we integrate Judaism and science, they get rid of it. And they've tried to retreat and go back. This is always, always the way. New ideas are always challenged in this way. But I am gratified and thrilled to see so many people in my congregation, not just in my congregation, but wherever I go, who hear about this new type of approach to religion, who are enthused and, one, and love it. And I had one person who said to me, you know, when I was uh, younger, God was some word we mumbled in Hebrew along with a lot of other Hebrew that we didn't understand, and now you've made it real, and you've made it something that I can believe in. You've actually given me a rational faith from which I can draw inspiration, and I don't have to sacrifice my rational mind to do it. Carl Sagan wrote, There seem to be many people who simply wish to be told an answer. Any answer and thereby avoid the burden of keeping two mutually exclusive possibilities in their heads at the same time. What is your take on objectivity or lack of objectivity of mankind here in the 21st century? I would have thought we'd be further along. Well, we're not further along because we're still human and we still have primitive desires and needs and hope. Carl Sagan said that it's so much easier to believe things because we want to believe it. But we have to res resist the urge to rationalize and instead to use reason and to be rational. And he wrote books about trying to dispel these common notions. Some people think that because they wish it to be true, it is true. We have to have our minds totally open to every possibility according to science, but also be very skeptical at the same time. And so Carl Sagan also believed that we need to unite religion and science to save the planet. He was very, very concerned about the threat. He talked about climate change before other people even knew what he was talking about. And he dreamed of the day that religion and science would unite. And this is my goal as well. Unite, why? Around a common goal to save us from ourselves. And so all religion, all religion must be transformed from the tribal where we think that we're saved and you're not, we're right and you're wrong, 
to the global and to the cosmic in which religion is used to show by evidence and by faith that we are all one. Not only all humans, we're one with all living things. And that in order for us to thrive, we must be at one with all living things and with the universe. This was the dream of Carl Sagan. That's why he wrote Cosmos, to show that all the cosmos is one. He actually had a bar mitzvah, Carl Sagan. He, like Albert Einstein, was raised in a Jewish milieu. And I believe that those Jewish values and ideals influenced everything they did. And I, too, believe that all of us should work towards the day of trying to use religion to bring about greater unity. Some people think that because religion has done bad things, we should get rid of it. They think the answer to bad religion is no religion. No, no, no. The answer to bad religion is good religion. Just like there are bad governments doing horrible things, we don't say there should be no government. That would be chaos, anarchy. The answer to bad government is good government. And by the way, religion should not be influencing government because we've seen from history, when you take government and religion and put them together, it is dangerous, a toxic mix, especially when you insert it into the education of our children. Every rebel, like every story, has an ending, a resolution. If you were to look forward, what might be your resolution? My resolution is to do what my father suggested. My father was a rabbi and he said, religion must always evolve and grow. And the nature of reform was supposed to be an evolution, but it kind of got frozen and now it's become orthodox light. Orthodoxy does something that's unheard of in Judaism. It's actually the greatest novelty or the greatest reform of all is orthodox Judaism, which tries to freeze development. The reason why human beings are so successful is because we've evolved this incredible mind. The reason why Judaism has worked is because we've adapted and evolved through the different cultures that we've met. My hope is that religion will continue to evolve by being infused with reason, and that reason, science, and religion will join forces and combine also with environmentalism, and will tap into the idealism of the youth who know what we need to do to protect the planet. And if we can do that, if we can join these great revelations of religion and science, then we will achieve everything that the human potential is capable of. And if we don't do that, we may end up killing each other over ancient literature. And that would be a great tragedy indeed. I look forward to a great future for humanity once we allow religion to evolve with the understandings revealed by science. And thank you, Mary Silver. The American Circus is a three-ring show about what makes us each unique. And now you can get to comment on whether Barry is a hero, a rebel, or a saint. Send your comments to arnpick at comcast.net. That's arnpick at comcast.net. And we appreciate your support for the program. From the Savvy Channel, this is Arnie Pickholtz. We'll see you next time. We are the best.